0: She began to rub me. Rubbing you where? You know she... Your penis? Yes. And? I don't feel comfortable talking about this.
1: Because I'm a woman?
0: No, because you act like it's some kind of game.
1: Mr. Sanders, why are you here?
0: I want to know what my options are.
1: What your options are?
0: I want to know whether I can sue her for sexual harassment.
2: Well, to do that, you'd have to convince a jury that you were alone in a room with Miss Teenage New Mexico, and you said no.
1: Sexual harassment is not about sex. It is about power. She has it, you don't. If you sue, you'll never get another job in the computer business. If you don't sue, they'll bury you in Austin. If you sue, it's news. If you don't, it's gossip. If you sue, nobody will believe you. If you don't, your wife won't. They will make your life into a living hell for the next three years until this case goes to trial. And for that privilege, it's going to cost you a minimum of $100,000. Do you not think it's a game, Mr. Sanders? It's a game to them.
3: With the Harvey Weinstein, Roger Ailes, Bill Cosby, and more stories every day, along with the global Me Too campaign, the call towards exposing and ending sexual harassment is a part of every nightly news story we've seen over the last few months. But sexual harassment and assault is nothing new. One just has to wonder why, though. It seems like every 10 or 15 years, another case or string of cases hits the front burner and engenders sincere rage, But within a year, the iron seems to cool and things seem to go back to sad, tragic, dangerous business as usual. Those old enough to remember, think about it. When was the last time there was really a genuine kick the rocks over and exposed light on the problem uproar over sexual harassment? Probably the Anita Hill Clarence Thomas scandal of 91. And everyone swore that would be the galvanizing incident, which would drag the problem from the darkness into the purifying noonday sun... But it didn't. And here we are today. And why? Some may disagree. In fact, some may be genuinely pissed off at this assertion. And that's okay. Because getting pissed off is kind of the point. I believe people got angry, justifiably so, but didn't channel that anger into the proper modes of doing something rather than just being angry. And we're kind of seeing the same thing again today. In recent days, I've gotten into a few chats, debates, and downright arguments with women and men whose anger I understand and agree with, but when that anger turns into simply saying society does this and the media does that and goes no further than such words, well, to me, that's evasive BS. We're going to take a slightly different angle with our quick picks film choice tonight. Normally it's to be a review of a current film or a look back at an obscure title which many maybe never knew existed. Tonight's pick, however, is neither new nor obscure. But we believe it perfectly encapsulates the reason why we keep seeming to go in sociological circles when it comes to finally getting a grip on and eradicating sexual harassment. Based on the 1994 novel by Jurassic Park, Rising Sun, and Westworld's Michael Crichton, The film version of Disclosure, starring Michael Douglas, Demi Moore, and Donald Sutherland, and released later that same year, was one of 94's biggest box office hits, and still one of director Levinson's most financially successful films, but it was, in our opinion, unfairly and wholly inaccurately vilified by some at the time as borderline misogynistic because it featured an antagonist who was a powerful corporate career woman more, accused of the sexual harassment of a man under her, Douglas. And considering the time in which the film was released, when psycho women flicks such as Fatal Attraction, Single White Female, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and The Temp seem to be cinematic de rigueur, it's easy to see how his premise may have sounded like just another such potboiler. But the agenda of Crichton and Levinson's drama Part sexual politics, part mystery, part corporate thriller, was to jolt audiences, particularly men, out of the dangerous complacency of thinking that claims of sexual harassment were overblown, whiny, uber exaggerations from those who couldn't keep up with the boys by flipping the tables and shifting the point of reference in making the victim a once powerful corporate male up-and-comer who was now faced in the workplace, at home, and to a degree even in a court of law, with accusations that he's making it all up in an attempt to blackmail his employer, or that in some regards he was responsible for what happened, or at least could have prevented it if and when he wanted to, and or also faced with the possibility that if he proceeds with filing a complaint, Such an action could not only jeopardize his career, but that of others around him. Any of this sound familiar? I'm Craig Jamison of Gull Cottage Online, and welcome to our Movie Sneak Podcast, Quick Flix Picks. Full disclosure, an updated look at Creighton and Levinson's, at the time, controversial sexual harassment thriller.
1: Taking this Meredith Johnson thing well. It does have anything to do with it. About.
2: Oh, it's today's rumor she was once a man. Why don't you just tell her? Tell her what, Mark? Well, why don't you tell her there's a lot of us who have worked just as hard as you and you're gonna blow this merger for all of us because you fucked up. What about that? What happened? Who got to you? No, it's not that simple, Tom. It's just the thought of losing millions of dollars happens to get stuck right here in my throat, okay? You see, this was my big shot, asshole. It's not like I'm being scouted by the NBA. Mark, what happened? Well, who knows what happens with these things? The old girlfriend, the bottle of wine, the late meeting, you fill in the blanks. Thanks, pal. Thanks a lot. You're like one of these goddamn women, Tom, who think they're going back to the hotel room at 2 in the morning drunk to watch HBO. Could you possibly be more lame?
3: Most experts, psychologists, law enforcement officials and such, believe the first step towards doing something concrete and real about sexual harassment is that we've got to dispense with the myth that it's mainly about a bunch of men unable to keep it in their pants, or that it's solely the result of the media's representation of male and female gender types. Those are parts of the problem. Those are adjuncts and even catalysts, but they are not the cause any more than gravity is the cause of suicide by jumping off of a building. No, most psychologists agree that sexual harassment is about power. Be it the obtaining, wielding, or illusion of having it, sexual harassment is about those with making themselves feel of more worth by dominating and or controlling those without. And if you think it's primarily gender-based, then how do you account for the oh-so-damn-many incidents per year of young female teachers plying their underage students with alcohol or drugs and having sex with them? No, it's about power. And while admittedly the majority of those in power are men, the quest for power and control knows no gender. I love the arts because it's always taken the first crispus addicts-like hits in most societal conflicts and crises, even when politics, organized religion, and other more so-called traditional arbiters of human conscience fail to step up to the plate, be it the filmic arts addressing racism in films like The Defiant Ones, anti-Semitism in Gentleman's Agreement, or AIDS in TV movies like An Early Frost. So, for those lately harping about the decadence of Hollyweird, etc., keep in mind that those statistics which tell us that by a certain age, one in four females have been sexually assaulted. Not the same thing as harassed, but even worse. And one in 16 young males. Oh, and under the age of 14, one in six males. Those stats don't say one in four in the entertainment industry, or in the music industry, or on Capitol Hill. Those figures also include your neighborhood, your church, the shopping center and supermarket you patronize every day, and the warehouse or office building you go to work to. But so far, the entertainment industry has been the only one cutting these jokers loose, firing them, and granted, far too late, it should have been much sooner, even launching legal proceedings against them. So it seems that, kind of as it's always been, the arts are in some respects leading the social charge there too, with its women and men daring to crawl out on that limb and bravely say, me too, in the hope that the rest of society will join them. One wonders when we'll see the same kind of industry-wide wave in other business facets of society as well. Until we do, we believe that within the next few years it will once again be all talk, then back to business as usual, when the spotlights aren't as focused anymore. And say what you will about the late Michael Crichton, and folks have said much, everything from calling him a hack and calling into question his socio-political and environmental views, but he never shied away from a controversial topic and the repercussions of it, as evidenced by his novel just before Disclosure, 1992's Rising Sun. In early 94, at the time of Disclosure's publication, he spoke with talk show host Charlie Rose about the novel's origin and agenda. The author of Jurassic Park, Andromeda Strain,
0: Rising Sun, and others have more than 100 million books in print. In his latest novel, Disclosure, he turns sexual harassment on its head, making the harasser a woman. The publisher has already printed 950,000 copies. I'm pleased to have him. Welcome. Thank you, Charles. It's great to have you here. What do you think the nerve is you've touched? Why this book?
4: I think there's two answers. One okay. answer is that that um, in, in the last few books, the, the the audience has been increasing, and I think That's that, right. that you do start to have an audience. Crichton and, is a name brand. Yeah, something right. like that, yeah. or or, or somebody that people they like the last book, so they'll read the next mm-hmm. one. Uh, I found it interesting. That's part of it. I think the other thing is that, that there's a tremendous interest in the society on the relations between the sexes and and. And harassment as an issue is a sort of uh, distillation of that. Yeah. How did you come to write this story first, just the notion of a plot dealing with a
0: question of sexual politics, a question of sexual harassment, a question of the relationship
4: between men and women? Somebody told me a story. What story? A story about a man who was harassed by a woman who was his former lover. And she was a superior in a company. She'd gotten the job that he wanted. Right. They had had a meeting behind closed doors. No one else was there. They both came out and accused the other of improper conduct. This was in
3: 1988. With a screenplay credited to Paul Atanasio, scripter of films such as Quiz Show and Donnie Brasco, and creator of TV series such as Homicide, Life on the Street, and Bull, Disclosure, the film, follows Crichton's novel rather faithfully, with the exception of a few minor character name changes and the condensing of a handful of subplots down to one or two. For the sake of narrative clarity tonight, we'll be specifically referencing the film's narrative. In the days just before the dot-com boom, Tom Sanders, Michael Douglas, head of advanced products at Digicom Seattle, is all smiles as the advanced laptop the creation of which he and his division were responsible, is the primary asset which has caused the publishing corporation Conley White to agree to a merger with Digicom. A merger which will not only pour $100 million into the tech firm, but is expected to result in a promotion for Tom when a new publicly traded company is spun off from his division. A spinoff which will make him and those under him very wealthy. Things go bad in a hurry however when Tom is informed that the promotion he expected will instead be going to a former girlfriend Meredith Johnson to me more from the firm's corporate HQ and bad goes to worse when the very married and with children Tom is invited for a late business meeting which turns into an apparently botched seduction by his new boss Meredith and after he spurns her advances the next day he is accused by her of sexual harassment In order to not endanger the merger with the conservative and extremely image-conscious Conley White Company, due to sign the agreement at week's end by embroiling them in a management employee scandal, Tom's superiors recommend that he agree to be transferred to the tech company's Austin, Texas site. An offer Tom refuses as A, it will cause him to lose his stock options when his present division goes public, and B, he's pretty certain the Austin facility will be shut down not long after the merger. Not normally known as a fighter, but as one more apt to keep his head down and keep his nose clean. Faced with the risk of losing everything he's ever worked for, for the first time in his corporate life, Tom decides to fight back. And this he does by joining with a female attorney famous for launching sexual harassment suits against corporate men. And together, they file one against Meredith and Digicom. But that's just the beginning. Originally published in January 1994, Between 1992's Rising Sun and 1995's Jurassic Park sequel, The Lost World, Crichton sold the movie rights to Disclosure for $1 million, and the film version began production before the novel even hit the bookstore shelves. Originally, slated director Miel Schformann left the project over creative differences with Crichton, who also functioned as one of the film's producers. And for a while, While the president's men and the parallax views, Alan Jivakula was considered to take the directing reins, before the job eventually fell to Diner, Rain Man, and Bugsy's director, Barry Levinson. Shot in and around the Seattle area for a, even back then, relatively modest $55 million, disclosure of the film opened on December 9, 1994, and with a final box office take of about $215 million, it became one of 94's biggest hits. one of director levinson's most financially successful films to this day while a huge bestseller the book had taken more than a few brickbats from some who believed that it vilified the image of the successful career woman and as mentioned earlier considering the era in which it was released with the psycho killer women films all the rage it was easy to see how some would in our opinion anyway prejudicially lump the novel into that category interestingly however It was later discovered, or uncovered if you will, that many, though not all, of the negative reviews of the book came from press personnel who never actually read it, but rather had read someone else's breakdown of the book's central plotline. More interestingly, however, was the fact that a great many actual career women in positions of authority in various corporations very much enjoyed the novel, and later the film, as they saw the story's final narrative outcome more a celebration of the film's other, more positive, glass ceiling breaking major female characters, among them Douglas's attorney, Catherine Alvarez, portrayed by Roma Mafia, who deserved an Oscar nomination that year. Uh, also, Douglas's fellow division head, Stephanie Kaplan, portrayed by the legendary Rosemary Forsyth. The acerbic tech team uh, designer, Mary Ann Hunter, Susie Plaxson. And his quick-witted, down-to-earth lawyer wife, Susan, played by Carolyn Goodall. Many career women found them much more intriguing than the single, manipulative, and abusive female character portrayed by Moore. So, let the debate continue there, if you like. But we've always felt the same about those other very major women characters. And hey, like we said earlier, debate and even anger can be a good thing if it gets people to talk and take action. At the time of the film's release, stars Michael Douglas and Demi Moore addressed this very same thing.
0: Sexual harassment
3: has existed throughout
0: society for a very, very long time. I mean, going back to the Greeks and Romans or even the caveman used to have that old image of the club, you know, hitting, dragging her into the cave with a hair. I don't support that. Uh, but th- that whole image has existed for uh, and reality has existed for a long time. so I think as soon as we s- reverse these roles and we do a story about a man being sexually harassed that we 're going to have a you know a lot of dis- discussion i 'm sure there 's going to be a lot of women who will resent the fact that when there 's such a real problem with women in harassment, why we would make a movie that would reverse the roles, and hopefully we 'll have um, some good debates and some good conversation. I'm extremely concerned about our inability of the sexes to talk to each other. And I think that, that, I'm afraid that a lot of time, sexual harassment is about power, and it's about controlling a situation as much as it is about the actual incident.
1: I think that she's an extremely um, ambitious and smart, Uh, very driven and has a a complete sense of herself and 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 I think the power that she contains you have to identify but not necessarily in the sense of is it you is it the same same do I feel this is an extension of me I think you have to identify with just something in it that interests you type of person values in this case Obviously, it's, she's very different from me, and and, um, and I was interested just to step into um, the shoes of somebody who really enjoys manipulating and toying with people um, without any awareness that, that there's anything wrong with it, with no remorse, really. Um, I think intellectually, I, I understood the type of person that that she, that she is. That I I may even know people like this. Um, emotionally, I, I it was a, a little more frightening for me.
3: Sexual harassment and its less subtle, less cloaked older sibling, rape culture, don't spring out of nowhere as if fully grown and fully armed from the forehead of Zeus. Uh Uh-uh. They're more Darwinian than that. They've grown and evolved over such a long time from certain accepted beliefs and societal habits that it's sometimes difficult to trace the damned origin of species in the first place. Difficult, but not impossible. It's not unlike racism in society. Racial profiling didn't begin in 2014 with a fatal chokehold on Erica Garner who was arrested for selling individual cigarettes from a pack. It started a long time before, when you were watching the news or 60 Minutes one night, saw someone unfairly rousted by the police, and you said, damn, that ain't right. But then you just clicked over to the game or the holiday movie marathon on the Hallmark Channel and didn't give it another thought, because unfortunately, stuff like that happens. And the emboldening of the alt-right proudly strutting down Main Street didn't begin when Confederate statues started coming down. It began when those immigrants moved into your neighborhood up the street and your first thought, which you kind of felt guilty about, was how long before more of them arrive and bring down property values. The same with sexual harassment and other forms of sexual intimidation. And They didn't begin with Harvey Weinstein, Cosby, Ailes, O'Reilly, or Louis C.K., they began with some quaint, generally accepted notions as to not only societal roles according to gender, but in our assumption, our acquiescence, if you will, to accepted notions as to what it means to be in power. The boss says jump, and one's unquestioned response is to be how high? We know this person at work maybe got shafted or received a short end of the stick because maybe a manager supervisor, or someone close to a manager or supervisor, had a personality problem with them. And that so-called normal attitude has less to do with sexual politics and more to do with the person in power letting everyone around them know, including you, that they are the one in power. And that mindset, especially in a workplace environment and with a slight scene shift, if you will, is also the core, the central nervous system of sexual harassment And intimidation. For proof of this check out the almost animal farm like nature in so many recent news stories over the last few years of the formerly harassed now becoming the harassers. Situations where you have many who were years ago considered the geeks, the losers, the creative people and comic book nerds who later in an era where such things would become all the rage and big-money cash cows would ascend to positions of authority then begin to wield their power over others very often via the avenue of becoming the sexually domineering. Take a look at the recently exposed behavior of people such as Ain't It Cool News' Harry Knowles, the reports coming out of L.A.'s prized art and revival house, CineFamily, and even the stories in recent years of sexual harassment and assaults at Comic-Con and other conventions, for Christ's sake. Each person has to ask themselves and bring to book the person standing next to them and also asking that person... Is power and authority a dictatorship, where, be it in the workplace, school, church, or Capitol Hill, or even at home, everyone without question genuflects to the will and whim of the person in charge? Or is it a position of accountable authority and responsibility? People are going to have their psychological, insecure hang-ups and inner power fantasies. You and I can't necessarily open up their heads and rewire them out of this. But we don't have to allow, in fact, we have the responsibility not to allow that to spill over into said workplace, school, church, home, or whatever. But in order to do that, we have to first recognize these insecure power play inner hang-ups. We have to recognize them, and we have to know where they come from. Who is she? Let me
2: guess, Uh, she's attractive?
1: What does that have to do with anything?
2: Great rack, nipples like pencil erasers. She's attractive, yeah, she's very attractive. You think she's sleeping with the Garvin? Oh, that's why he bought the Nordic track. You know, it's a curse to be me. Life holds no surprises.
1: This is such a cliche.
2: Oh, come on, Hunter. How do you think a cliche becomes a cliche? You
1: mean, like, size doesn't matter?
2: <laughs> I have such a thing for you, Hunter.
0: All right, all right, please. Can we get some work done here? We've got a. Small
2: problem with Archimax. Hey, it isn't the design, it's not the code.
1: All I know is any woman has to be twice as good as a man and work twice as hard to get the same job and less back.
2: See that, Hunter? Cliche Grande. Woman, how do
1: you
2: think a cliche becomes a cliche? Come on, Hunter. It is very weird. You don't know anything about this woman. I do. I had a thing with her. <laughs> oh, man, you are amazing. It was years ago. Tommy, you've seen more ass than a rental car, my friend. You should get a few more women in your life so you can be a census.
1: Well, no. Yeah. Maybe you can sleep
2: your way to a better job. Yeah, right.
1: Wait a minute, why?
2: Well, why her and not Tom? He's not attractive? Because (laughs) men and women are different.
1: Not in any way that would matter to you.
2: What, are you saying I'm a virgin?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, One of disclosure's more surprising aspects is how, in the midst of such serious subject matter, it manages to possess a very welcome and necessary streak of humor... This in no way belittles or cheapens the subject matter, you know, bringing the proceedings down to the level of comedy or even satire. What it does, however, is A, to provide a few bright spots cleverly designed to keep the audience on board and entertained, which is one of the most important duties of a commercial film, while laying out the more serious aspects of its social discourse, and B, It provides a brilliant way of condensing some of the more detailed and numerous layers of the novel's subtext and even subplots, involving preconceived societal notions of the genders, down into a handful of quick, witty, and very realistic repartee scenes between very familiar co-workers. So in a way, Paul Atanasio's script here is kind of sort of doing the same thing the Mr. DNA cartoon in the film version of Jurassic Park did when it compacted an entire chapter of highly detailed genetics about frog DNA and such down into a two-minute animated sequence. Oh, and don't get me wrong, and I'm sure some may not agree with this, but I, for one, don't want to live in a world devoid of playful sexual innuendo, bad and even tasteless jokes, or in an environment where men and women, straights and gays and everyone in between can't let their hair down and laugh and joke and tease one another about a great many gender and sexual stereotypes, like in the scene we heard earlier from the film Among the Coworkers. I've just got too damn many friends who enjoy that sort of thing as much as I do, and we don't want to live in one of those demolition man kind of societies ruled by political correctness run amuck. But at the same time, there's also a yo, don't even attempt the BS of trying to hide behind that in order to justify your own personal insecurity, psychological discomfort around members of the opposite sex and those aforementioned power fantasies, and then try to write it off as locker room talk. No, because that's straight up bullshit. Michael Crichton's novel Disclosure chose to not only dip a toe into all of this, but plunge itself headlong into the boiling water of long unspoken, unadmitted, angry and pent up frustrations concerning sexual harassment in a contemporary workplace. And his film version, directed by Barry Levinson, was executed in such a timeless manner, from its script to its performances, production design, Ennio Morricone is at times avant-garde score, its examination of American business, cutting-edge technology, and of course, in its being a faithful adaptation of the novel's rumination and repudiation of power expressed through sexual domination, that when rereading or re-watching it today, as we said at the beginning of this episode, and it bears repeating, it's hard to believe it wasn't written as a response to recent news stories, but that it arrived on a literary and filmic scene 23 years ago. But then again, from genetics to oceanography to nanotechnology and high-tech amusement parks, Michael Crichton himself, love him or hate him, didn't just keep up with the times. Very often, he was well ahead of them. Give Disclosure another look-see and see if you don't agree. I'm Craig Jameson, and thanks for joining me for this edition of the Movie Sneaks Quick Flix Picks. See you next time up there in those cheap seats. I'm not going to do this. No, can't stop. No. She said you sexually harassed her. She harassed me. If that can, you
1: finish what you started or you're dead. Do you hear me? You are dead.
0: We just have to hope he's smart enough to see he doesn't have any options. I want to know whether I can sue her for sexual harassment. A
1: very dangerous game, Mr. Sanders. Are you willing to play it? When push comes to shove, he doesn't have the guts. Oh, don't tell me you're scared of me. He has nothing to lose. Well, he hasn't told his wife yet. How could you let that woman we into a lie?
0: But they can come in here between me and my wife. Take my job, and take a family, the house that
3: we have made.
2: This is a bomb we're sitting on that can blow everything sky high. The thought of losing millions of dollars happens to get stuck right here. Of course,
1: Sanders, You have no idea what you're up against. Sure we'll, we'll see.
3: We'll see. reminder that all film, music, and other clips are the rights and property of the copyright holders and are used here for entertainment, educational, and criticism purposes only.